0: Inside a very special edition of the Justin Ayers Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Ayers. And why is this a very special edition? It's because I'm just going to come out and say it. It's one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. I've been doing this podcast for three plus years now, and I don't think I've ever had as much fun or learned as much uh, than I have with the person you're about to hear coming up. And that is, of course, our guest this week. It is WJZ TV in Baltimore, Maryland. It is their sports director, Mark Viviano. Mark Viviano. Uh, My pal Mark and I, we go way back to last summer, back in Carolina Panthers training camp in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, I I told this story at the top of the podcast, but it just bears repeating. I had no idea what I was doing. I had never been to an NFL training camp before. I had never made it out to where the Ravens or the football team uh, or any of the local teams, I've never been to a camp, so I didn't even know the logistics of what a camp was. And here I am, plumped into the middle of the South Carolina heat, wandering around aimlessly that morning, And and who was there to kind of guide me on my way and and kind of get me started on the right foot that weekend uh, was none other than Mark Viviano, Uh, And which is funny because there's all sorts of media people down there. Of course, the the people that cover the Panthers were there. Uh, It was a joint practice with the Baltimore Ravens. But but who was there to, to, you know, uh, provide some guidance when I really needed it was somebody that lives 10 minutes away from me. So I had to go 500 miles to South Carolina to meet and connect with somebody who I could probably throw a rock out my front door and hit his house. Uh, So I I thought that was super cool. So we stayed in contact all after that. Uh, He's just the nicest human I've ever met. So in this conversation, you can hear a lot. Uh, We're going to draw on on Mark's wealth of experience. He has over three-plus decades in the broadcast media industry. Enjoy an hour-long conversation. Uh, It spans all topics covering his backstory, his career, uh, interviewing techniques, tips, uh, and some fun rapid-fire questions at the end. So without further ado, here's the man himself, Mark Viviano. Enjoy. Enjoy. I'm now joined by a very special guest. It is WJZ Sports Director and my old pal, Mark Viviano. Viv, how are you, sir?
1: Doing good. It's uh, great to catch up with you. I'm uh, always interested in your many projects. You are a uh, very outgoing and uh, enterprising young journalist, so it's always fun to see what you're up to. So I'm glad to join you, Justin.
0: That, that really means a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, have looked up to you and it's funny because, and I'll tell the story of how we met, but we, I, we had to go all the way down to Spartanburg, South Carolina <laughs> to, to meet somebody who probably lives 10 minutes from me. So yeah. that that's uh, I was down covering uh, my boss of one of my other enterprising projects, as you put it, uh, Colin Thompson is a tight end for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, I've had him on a bunch. He's my boss, my friend, and I was covering him for his training camp. And it was like day one, I was, it was really hot. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was just kind of aimlessly wandering around and uh, who, who come to find out who is the person that would help me figure out where I'm supposed to go uh, a veteran of many training camps, but it is, it was you uh, and you were super nice. And, and we stayed in touch after that. So I wanted to first say thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just really appreciate everything you've done for me.
1: Well, let me tell you this, Justin uh, you know, I, I'm always happy to, to, to help guide people when, you know, they, they might seem that they need to know uh, a little leeway as to where they're going and things like that. That being said, I was impressed by what you were doing. Uh, I saw you doing your interviews and getting different uh, Panther players uh, for, for uh, the shows that you were putting together with Colin. And I'm like, this is awesome. This kid is working hard. I mean, I know what it's like um, for the many years that I've been doing this to kind of establish those relationships and get players comfortable And I was watching as I was doing my interviews that you were getting guys and Colin was getting guys. And it just, it it was neat. It was neat to see. And uh, I really applaud that. And it it takes a lot of work. So that's what stuck out to me.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was just a ball of nerves. Like I I had done (laughs) in-person interviews before, uh, but never to like, I mean, it just, I've I've interviewed like the Delmarva Shorebirds and I love those guys. And I still stay in contact with them, but I'm getting like, first string tight ends and, and, and backup quarterbacks to major NFL teams come on. And it's like, you're right. Have you found like any kind of like when you, when you're getting like nervous or any kind of like tips that you use to kind of like bring yourself back down to center or, or do you even still get nervous at this point in your career?
1: Well, not so much nervous, but the only thing that puts me where I'm not at ease is if I'm not informed, um, I think what you do in interviews, Justin, and and you know this, is be curious. Find out about people. People like to talk about themselves. They do. And when you show them that you have some knowledge of who they are and what they've done, but you want to find out more about their motivations and methods, I think for the most part, they appreciate that you've pointed, you've gone out of your way to learn about them. And they like to share their stories about how they got there and how they do what they do. Uh, If I'm not familiar with someone, that's the only time I would be somewhat uh, nervous, if you want to use that word. Uh, But then, you know, once you get into the process of any conversation with someone, the most important thing is not so much what you ask, it's what you hear them answer. Because that often leads to the next questions. Uh, Be a good listener. That is always so important. That's important, not just in what we do as interviewers, but in life, right? I mean, when you're meeting people and you're talking to people, be a good listener. Uh, Show that you are hearing what people say. Uh, Because if you care enough to ask, you should care enough to listen. And I think that that transfers into what we do.
0: You said something in there that was really interesting. You said you always like to be informed. And and that's exactly how I try to go about my prep for these interviews podcasts like the quick interviews and just conversations in general I always like to have an idea going in about what I'm going to talk about and always like to have something to fall back on uh have you found it that that maybe because I mean I do this now I over prepare like I'll find out like your your high school bowling scores and then I'll bring (laughs) it up like just probably things that like the normal person doesn't necessarily think about to ask somebody but have you ever had it to like have you ever over prepared for something or where do you kind of draw the line on over versus under prepared
1: well, you can over-prepare in that you have material that you never get to, and that's okay, uh, as long as you're getting to the, to the core of what you want to find out about someone. Uh, if you never get to it, and you have pri- prioritized what you want to get to, something left over, that's not bad. I mean, you know, because you also have to be, you also want for the time that you spend to be quality time. It's not always quantity. Uh, Because you can also sense, just as you would in any conversation with someone, there's a natural ending to it. And you don't want to just continue it just because you have more things on your list. You know when the conversation's over. And you can kind of sense when somebody, you're both like, okay, this has been nice. Let's end it here while it's nice, as opposed to dragging it on any further. So there's nothing ever wrong with overpreparing because you never know how deep into that well you might need to dig uh if some of the other questions you had don't take you down any particular roads that were fruitful so over preparing is okay there's nothing wrong with that
0: yeah i mean having a finite beginning and end point to anything and or putting a little bow on it's always something really important um one thing that i've always found that like with podcast conversations and and maybe things where you like you're not restricted by time is it's just trying to fill the time like you know, having, having an idea of where you want to take a conversation and asking great follow-ups, but when, whenever you're in a time crunch, uh, and like you, you, have like, all right, I have X amount of minutes with this guy. Like, do you ever like try to over, like try to get to your questions too quickly, or do you ever have like time be a factor whenever you're in, interviewing somebody where you you know, you're up against the clock. And does that kind of change the way you, you interview somebody?
1: It can. I mean, you know, there are different times when, you know, there might be a, uh, you know, a particular athlete might be available in segments of time. And then it's your turn and you've got five minutes and you can kind of feel like he's already answered some questions. Now it's your turn to ask some questions and you want to come at him with some fresh things to, you know, so he doesn't feel like he's answering the same questions all the time. Sure. Hey, listen, what we deal with, especially maybe less so in a podcast format, or in radio at times, but certainly in television, everything is a very tight box of time. <laughs> so uh, yes, uh, you definitely feel that, but there's a nuance to it. You have to, it's just like, a, you know, if you want to say a, it's just like a quarterback who's looking at the play clock or the clock, how much time left in the game? Uh, are, is he feeling pressure sometimes? Sure, make a play, <laughs> you know, ask a good question. Um, but it's, up. Uh, you know, that's that's part of, you know, getting used to time pressures and things like that, and performing just like athletes do sometimes.
0: Absolutely every every interviewer always has their own style. Like Dan Patrick does, really short questions, really short pointed questions. And I don't know if you're familiar with Pat McAfee, the guy who interviews Aaron Rodgers every week. Mm-hmm. His questions take like 15 minutes to get to the actual <laughs> point of them. Like, how long did it take you to kind of develop your style, and what would you kind of say your style is when you're interviewing somebody?
1: That's a good question, and I'm not sure that I know what it is, but I think my the way that I go into asking questions, I just want to be genuine. I just want the subject to know that I, I care and I'm curious. And ideally, that is that is conveyed in, 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 in a brief question. Uh, sometimes it may take a little further explanation to convey that. But short is better, I think. Um, Oftentimes, I think some of us have a tendency to want to show the person we're asking questions to how much we know. It's not important. The listener wants to know what the subject knows. It's not about what we know. Sometimes you do want to share your knowledge of that person's background so they feel comfortable that you know who they are and what they've done. But, but better than that is to get to your question. Get, get, hand it off let them come back to you with what they, what they can share with the listener. Cause this is for the listener. It's not for us. Right.
0: Absolutely. And I think what you said there is also something that I also try to emulate. I mean, I, when I'm going through and I'm doing my research on the person, like you like you said, I want them to know that like I've taken the time to to get to know them. Uh, and I hope, you know, and hopefully in this conversation today, I know I have some, I have some really cool stuff that I found out about you that I'd love to, to get your, your take on. And also just like, here here uh, you know reflect on some great stories from the past um so sure. with that uh i wanted to take it back i wanted to take it back even before baltimore to, i i saw are you a saint louis native is that born and
1: raised yep born and raised St. Louis family and- my family's all in uh, missouri still
0: yeah I mean, St. Louis is one of the most underrated sports towns in America. I think people on the East coast don't necessarily like know how great of a sports town it is because we think of Boston, New York, but I've always loved it. But as somebody who grew up in St. Louis to like, did that kind of help get the, the love of sports started or, or where did you kind of fall in love with it?
1: 100%. I, I would say, I can honestly say that as a young boy, like six, seven years old, listening to, St. Louis Cardinal baseball games Jack Buck, the Hall of Fame late great broadcaster of the Cardinals was a voice that was always in my head and in the background and I would go from that to listening to the, the sports talk shows on KMOX radio in St. Louis where when I was still probably in high school a young voice came on named Bob Costas and I these were, there were different voices in my youth that I heard and gravitated toward uh, that drew me into that an interest in what they were doing and why they did it and what it sounded like and how they communicated and what the subject matter was more than anything. Cause I tuned in because I liked the subject matter, I liked all the sports. So, yeah, in part because St. Louis certainly is a passionate baseball town. Um, I really had the Cardinals as a part, a big part of my life, you know, and I a big family and we all like the Cardinals and you find that a lot in St. Louis. It's a, it's a very, in a lot of towns, you know, St. Louis is not unique to that, that the sports uh, bring families together, bring communities together, bring a city together. And especially when they're successful, it's a shared experience and it's important and it can be life forming and Uh, For me, it was something that set me on a path to follow a passion that I hooked into as a very young man, which was listening to sports talk and sports broadcasting and said, that'd be a great thing to do for a job one day. And eventually I did. I feel fortunate for that every day.
0: I mean, St. Louis Cardinals fans. I've always said, they're. I think they're the best in baseball. They're, they're the most knowledgeable. They're I, in most often cases. I, I found them to be the nicest sports fans. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, we talk about guys that grew up in the, in the Midwest uh, growing up being Cardinals fans. They eventually, you know, Bob Costas and all these guys uh, connected to the Cardinals, Joe Buck. Um, but you, you mentioned that light bulb moment that y- you thought that you could be a, a, a sports would be an opportunity to to take your passion to the next level. Like what was like the moment where you knew that broadcasting was going to be that vehicle for you to help follow your passion? Uh,
1: I can tell you this, you know, and I played sports. I played baseball and basketball in high school and true story. I made the varsity as a sophomore, but I didn't get a lot of playing time. And I would sit on the end of the bench and do play by play the games when I wasn't playing. And the guys, that were playing, when they got out of the game, they used to come sit down by me because they wanted to hear me do my play by play. And I found that people reacted to it, something that I just liked doing naturally. And once I started feeling that people liked it, it kind of gave me encouragement, but the light bulb and, and the big moment came my junior year of high school. My mom, I'm one of five kids. And my mom had this hope that I would become a dentist. Whatever reason, like, you know, she just thought there would be a a real great thing to follow. And she thought I'd be smart enough to do that. And I had no interest in that whatsoever. (laughs) So I remember the day, Justin, I remember it vividly when I am a junior in high school. It's actually going into my junior year of high school. And it was the summer. And I was like, I, you have to start making college decisions or at least thinking about it. And I thought, it, and I was really dead set on, you know, what do I really want to do? I'd really want to be a broadcaster. But now I had to tell my mom who wanted me to be a dentist. And I remember I walked into the kitchen and she was preparing lunch. I said, mom, I want to go to journalism school. And she stopped what she was doing. and She looked at me and I was like, Oh, no, I just disappointed my mom. And she said, you're going to be great at that. And that, I can tell you, that affirmation is something that propelled me into a true, passionate pursuit of something that I loved. She could have said, and I wouldn't have blamed her if she would have said, that's really not what you should do. You should do something. You should go into business or you should be a dentist. Then I probably would have been less... Affirmed for sure, and maybe uncertain, but that affirmation I have shared that story with parents that I speak to to this day about the power that you have with your child in affirming their hopes. Uh, Now, there probably are some limits to that. If I had told my mom I want to be the center fielder for the St. Louis Cardinals, if she would have said, Well, that's a nice idea, that the likelihood of that is really small. So prepare yourself to do something else. But at least what I expressed was a reachable goal. And her affirmation, I'm telling you, and I, you know, so the the rest of the story is, she died about a year after that, my mother was, was ill. And I was 17 years old when she passed away. But not a day has gone by that I've been blessed to do the job that I do that I don't think about her and the affirmation she gave me. So it goes back to that really. Yes, I had the interest, yes I had the passion, but it was that affirmation that said go for it. And I was never a I was never somebody who I would say was totally self-assured or outgoing. There was something about having that that just made me more of more certain. That one I wanted to do it, and two that I could do it. And again, not being somebody who's who's that confident or cocky or anything, I just had a quiet confidence that this I'm going to do this, and I've never looked back. And I and I point to that moment as to why.
0: Wow, that's that's incredible. I mean, you're right. I, I, having somebody say like that they believe in you and that they you know they they believe in what you're doing. I mean, that's that's incredible. Um, you, you mentioned something about being. Uh, a little bit more reserved, maybe not as gregarious as some of the other people as maybe we think of guys on TV as being these outward extroverts. Um, right. are you are you kind of a more introverted guy? did Did you find yep. that as as a little bit? Did you find that to be an advantage or a disadvantage when you're going through the field and eventually working your way up in the biz?
1: It might be a disadvantage at first uh, until you become comfortable with being just who you are, realizing, too, that you can be who you are and still be good at what you do. And it doesn't require being extrovert. Now, there are some guys who are, and, and, and women, who are just more at ease in just throwing themselves out there. And and, that, and I admire that. I think that's beautiful. I'm not. But where I get my confidence is in my I've built up sort of an understanding of who I am and how I can accomplish what I what I need to accomplish to do my job. And when it comes to actually broadcasting or speaking. uh, If I'm excited about the subject matter, I love to tell the stories. I love to share the information. Uh, I like to find things out or, or or come up with research and opinions and share it. And if you care about what you're doing, you will naturally share that with confidence. And you don't have to be outgoing, gregarious, loud. You can just be confident and excited. Like, I love sharing these things. And that's a genuine projection of what you have to share. You don't have to make anything up. You don't have to be anything. You don't have to go, okay, psych myself up. Now, give them your best shot. No, just be who you are. And that's the best way to do it. I'll tell you this, Justin. The best compliment I ever get is when people say, it looks like you really enjoy what you do. Well, that's perfect because I do. And if that comes across, what more could I ask for? (laughs) Really, that's it. I don't have to put on a show. I don't have to change my personality or my projection or anything. I just get to be me being excited about what I do. And if that resonates with people, Win win. It's just perfect.
0: I mean, I I'm I'm the exact same way. I hearing you say that, it's it's like music to my ears because you know, not to sound like a like a cheesy cover of a book, but I, I love being introverted. I, I I would even go so far as to call it a superpower because, like, you're right, it just teaches you to be a better listener. Like when you're, you're not just being the center of attention, you're you're kind of you're picking up on things that the the loud person or the the more extroverted person isn't necessarily going to be picking up on because they're gonna be trying to do it their own thing. I love it. I, I, I've always loved to be an introvert. Uh, I, I don't necessarily draw energy from being the center of attention and getting, I don't get jazzed up about, um, you know, having people like look to me to be the, the source of entertainment. But I, I, like, I, like you said, I, I love, uh, I love having intimate conversations about stuff that I care about. And that can, I think that conveys. Um, so yeah, anytime I can talk to a fellow introvert, that's that's in the broadcast industry. Yeah. Uh, it's it, like, it's, it's music to my ears.
1: Let me, let me share this with you. You might have a different opinion than I do. On the subject of whether someone is outgoing or more introverted, in my experience, just life experience, I'm going to just throw out a guess that 70% of people are more introverted than they are outgoing. Maybe it's more than that. <laughs> it really is. I think it is a human nature to be somewhat reserved. And like you said, you got to be comfortable with that. I don't, you know, maybe we sort of compare or feel like we have to live up to, you know, a certain level of, I don't know, outgoing nature, whatever it is. But I think at our roots, I think we're all more careful and more a little confined. And that's not a bad thing. I don't think that, I think being careful is okay. Um, But, and I find this too, think about, think about some of the athletes you've talked to. And I've talked to a lot of them over the last 35 years. You think that, you know, athletes walk around with their chest out and their head up and because they kind of have to project that. It's certainly that confidence and that ability and that want to, and that belief. But when they're just like sitting next to you, just person to person, I find some guys just aren't that confident, you know? they're, you know, they might be confident if the job is to hit a jump shot or hit a baseball, but when it comes to just being who they are, I mean, you know, take it to another level, obviously, but you're seeing more and more athletes talk about the struggles they've had with that very subject to the point that it goes to even, you know, depression sometimes, which is a different subject. I'm not comparing those directly, but being human isn't always easy, you know, and especially when it's on display and people can feel like they know you and then pick you apart. I think that even adds another layer of difficulty for those who are in high profile positions, whether they're the athletes or the people in the media. Um, but my overarching point in even saying that is I think more people are introverted than not. Uh, considerably more just my opinion
0: i i would tend to agree like like you said all the athletes you you tend to think of them as these larger than life like all the confidence in the world but when it comes down to it a lot of them would would rather just not talk like a lot of them would be more comfortable like staying in but I also kind of take that as a little bit of a challenge to get somebody to open yeah. up. Are, are you the same way where if you haven't somebody you meet initially where they kind of start cold talking and, um, you know, you're trying to get them to open up? Do you, do you enjoy the challenge of that in, in the course of an interview?
1: What you just described is, um, is developing trust. You I know, think, I think if you just walked up to anybody, you know, at a coffee shop and just struck up a conversation... I think sometimes the initial reaction would be, whoa, you know, I don't know you, you know, that's, and then people get, you know, they, they, they start to break down barriers a little bit and then they, you know, there's an art to getting through to people. There's a, there, there's a nuance to it. There's a way to make people feel comfortable. And I think that's part of the job when you approach someone, for instance, an athlete in a locker room uh, there's, you know, you can't just go in there with a the light on your camera on and just bum rush them. That's not going to work. Uh, but there is a, uh, just like, again, I, I think it all comes back to human relations. Just like if you walked up to somebody at a bus stop or a coffee shop, how do you do it? You know, what, what, what's a comfortable way to connect with somebody that doesn't know you. Um, and there is, there is a, uh, there's a way of doing it and Hey, Be prepared for them not to want to get to know you, (laughs) and that's okay too. I can't tell you how many times. Certainly, further into my career, uh, there have been guys. I'll ask, you know, for an interview, or you got a minute? No, you know, I don't. I don't have time. That's fine. And I'll just kindly say, no problem. It's all good. And then I had one guy, pretty well known guy. I'm not going to tell you who it was. You know, I said that to him. I go, that's cool. You don't want to talk. I don't want to bother you. And then later on, he sees me, he goes, "Uh, you know, I'll talk to you now. I said, if you want to, because if you don't want to, and you're just doing it to do me a favor, I don't want to bother you, dude. You know, it's like. I don't, you know, I I would like that certain athletes, if you come up to them and you you actually generally want to get their opinion on something or ask them some questions, if you don't want to talk to me, I don't want to talk to you. I don't because I'm not here to pull your teeth. I'm here to do a job. So I think they start to understand that if they don't want to talk, nobody wants to listen, you know? there might be the next guy will come right, come in and ask him, you know, will you talk to me? And maybe I'll go, yeah, maybe I should, but that's part of it. You know, I'm not, I don't complain about it. Anymore. It's, it's just it comes with the business. And it's okay. I don't feel rejection. I don't take it personally. I'll find somebody else to talk to. Wow,
0: I, Right. I mean, that has to be a skill that, that has to be developed over time. I, I don't think they teach you that day one journalism school. I'm, I'm sure no. like, everything is you, you got to go in there. You got to get your question. You have blah blah. blah. But I, I love that approach. I, I think that I think there's probably a lot more guys that you've had that have, have seen that approach being done by you. And they're like, all right, well, he, he seems different than everybody else. I'll actually give him five minutes of my time. Um, I, I did have one question, though, because uh, so there's a lot of guys like myself. You've obviously been in the covering sports for, I think you said, 35 years, which is incredible. Yeah. There, there's a lot of guys like myself that would eventually like the opportunity to have a career as lengthy and as illustrious as yours. Um, there's so many avenues and mediums to sports today, way many more than I, when you were coming up, uh, the barriers to entry today are are so much lower, but I think quality is really what separates people. When when you talk to, when you talk to young people who have a passion for what you do and working in sports, like what advice do you give them?
1: Well, there are so many different layers to what it takes to make a mark, establish a position and continue a career. There are just a lot of layers to it. Number one is getting in and getting started and being willing to do almost anything just to get started. Um, it's not about where you start. It's about getting started. It really is. I can tell you, when I graduated University of Missouri School of Journalism, I had sent out resume reels I sent out, I think, 20 for news jobs and five for sports jobs. I was doing less sports and more news because that's what the curriculum required. You have to do news. And if you're lucky to do sports on the side, do some sports on the side. But I, I, I had this stack of rejection letters and I kept them. And it was like, okay, this is real, man. Like it is hard to get in, you know, I, I think I'm pretty good at this, but that doesn't guarantee me a spot anywhere, but I was ready to go to Harlingen, Texas and Savannah, Georgia and Eau Claire, Wisconsin and Winston Salem, North Carolina. These are all places I remember applying to right out of college and getting rejected. And the first acceptance that I got was Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And I'm like, I, Justin, I'd have gone anywhere. I'd have gone anywhere. I just wanted in. And that's my, that's my point. Just get in, just get started, except anywhere is a starting point because it's just the first step. And I put in my work and my time in Cedar Rapids from there, went to Dayton, Ohio, from there, went to Baltimore, from there, went to CNN. And then I've come back to Baltimore for now going on 20 years. Um, and that's kind of, it's, it's almost like Cedar Rapids, Dayton and, and, and Baltimore were like, you know, double A, triple A or single A, double A, you know, whatever, however you want to look at it. It was like very stair-step. I didn't have any meteoric rise, but the important thing about it too, though, to get back to kind of your, your, your question, you got to enjoy wherever you are. You know, one thing, I, if I look back, Justin, I can say, I probably wasted some of the joy wondering what I was going to do next instead of enjoying the moments. And I enjoyed the moments, but I, I probably was looking so far past that I wasn't living the present at times. At times I'm very much a live-in-the-present guy. I, I, I am. And when I was working at CNN... CNN Sports Illustrated was, uh, you know, the Turner Network's CNN version of sports. And it was a network. And I remember every day I walked in there feeling so fortunate. I was working with some great people. A lot of guys, Tom Rinaldi was one of them who's, you know, ESPN and Fox now. And there were a lot of talented people. And every day I walked in there, I just thought, this is awesome. This is really cool. Uh, but I still do that now. I really still, and, and, and it, and tie it all back. It gets back to my mom affirming me. And I, and I think of her every time I get to go to work. So long answer to your question, get started, just get started, be willing and to do anything anywhere. And you can work up from there. And, and that's the thing. You have to be open-minded. You have to be ready to move. You have to be ready to maybe not make a whole lot of money at first. Um, you have to hustle because there are, as you mentioned, there's so many more avenues to get in now, yeah. whether it's podcasts and, uh, they're just different, you know, the, the online content is, it's widespread. There are a lot of ways to get in. Um, I did it a conventional way. I did it cause I come from an old school where pretty much there was radio and TV. <laughs> that was, that was pretty much it. Um, so maybe that, that simpler form of things had me more uh, focused. But listen, I would say take advantage of the wide variety of opportunities and try them all and be good at them all. Try to be good at them all. The more you can be good at, the better chance you stand at being really good at something.
0: One thing I've also heard uh, that I've always heard about when you're coming up and you're starting out in all these places is you have to try, be willing to try things. And, and I, I think that's really important because it helps you kind of find out like what you like doing. And then there's things they won't necessarily like doing for you yourself when you were coming up through the industry. Like what were some of the things that you immediately knew about working in sports that you liked? And what were some of the things that you immediately knew that's not for me?
1: Um, yeah, you're so right about try a lot of things because I, I kind of look back and cringe at some of the things I did, uh, all of it well-intentioned. All of it, um, that, you know, you don't try anything thinking it's going to fail. <laughs> you try hoping it works. But I can look back at some of my ways, some of my methods, and some of my what ended up being on the air, and I can laugh at myself, you know, because that's part of growth. I mean, that that that's fine. Uh, as far as the things I like or didn't like or find that I don't like, um that's a good question Justin. and I, I i i think in the overall i like what i do and i and i love the opportunity to do it that i can kind of pick through the things that are less appealing and just say well, that's part of the job <laughs> you know and like i could go back to the part about you know trying to get guys for interviews sometimes is it annoying yep but my attitude has just become as i shared with you it's like eh, you don't want to talk it's okay I'm not going to sit here and make you talk. I don't like that part of it, but I accept it. I accept it because there's there's so much more good than bad. There's so much more to enjoy than to, you know, cringe about. Um, But that's life too, right? I mean, you know, you could say life is good and someone could say, well, what about this part of life?
0: Yeah, that's not good, but
1: there's more good than bad. (laughs) Let's put it that way.
0: Exactly. One dynamic that I've always found so interesting and that you can speak to is like the dynamic between uh, because you've done radio, you've done TV, because like the guys on UCL Sports Center who, who just do highlights and they read off a prompter and they're really good at what they do uh, versus the guys that are, are good without turn the prompter off. Let's let me just kind of riff or uh, come up with my or forge my own path. Uh, either in front of a mic or behind a camera. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, do you think it's important to not kind of be pigeonholed into one of those, just, just being a highlight guy or just being an a, a open form, like a conversation-less kind of guy? Because like, I, I'm not sure how, many, how much co-mingling there is, or maybe you get set into one and you kind of stick with it for a long time. But do you think it's important to be well-rounded?
1: Yes. I would say the guy who can do radio can do anything. I think if you can do open-ended, succinct, meaningful, impactful conversation, you can do the other stuff. You know, that that the other stuff, I'm not downplaying that there's a certain art to what is a more condensed and scripted version of things. Because I look at that, I look at that part of it. Let's just, just say the the the, the three minute sports cast. Let's just take that. I look at that as sort of like a puzzle. I got so many pieces and so much time, and I want everything to matter. I want every word and every frame of video to matter because I have a very brief period of time. So there's a skill set that you operate with in doing that that is so much different from the open-ended, broad conversation that is podcast or radio. And I enjoy both, but I love radio. I love that, and it it's it is it's a different muscle to exercise with. You know, I'll use this example. Uh, I've been a marathon runner for m- many years. TV is a sprint. Radio is a marathon. It's a different twitch of muscle. You know, it's just different, and. I, I, I find that it uh, it's more fulfilling. And I always find that people who, you know, I did, I did a radio show for six years, a daily radio show. And it wasn't until afterwards, I'd have guys coming up to me and say, you know, I worked in sales and I'd have you on for three hours. I'm like, nobody listens for three hours. What are you talking about? But they liked it and they felt like they knew you. But I'll tell you what, Because in those, in those, in that format, you probably didn't know me because I'm just speaking about, I'm speaking from who I am in a broad range and interjecting opinion and life experience that is more real than comes across in a three minute sportscast. Right. And I like that. I like that. I like to relate with people to people and, you know, you'd have callers and another host that you would just have conversation with. I think, not to get you know, you know too deep into this, but I think as human beings, we are losing the art of conversation because so much is text and online driven, that I really believe that the human interaction, an exchange of words face to face or if not face to face because it's radio, just hearing voices, and how people you know inflect their voice and and share their, their feelings through words, I think that's intimate. I think that's meaningful. I think it's powerful. Um, and, I, and I feel like we lose a lot of that interpersonal connection when so much of what we do now is text or online, um, even Zoom, which I, I'm so glad to be able to do this. I'm not downplaying that. But I hope we never get away from the significance of two guys sitting across from a table, drinking coffee or beer, and just talking. <laughs> you know, I still think that's the essence of who we are as people.
0: That, that's such a great point. At, at this point in your career, do you seek out opportunities, or do you look forward to opportunities where you can kind of break the mold or, or get off script a little bit, or, or even just have like the longer form stuff? Do you do you yeah. seek out and enjoy those?
1: I do. Uh, I do the nightly broadcast. On WJZ, but we do have, and I'm so grateful for this. We have a lot of long form content on air during football season in particular with Raven shows. I have Tori Smith with me for a half hour show every week, uh, Kadri Ismail for a half hour show every week, pregame show every Sunday, uh, and then pre and then post game shows depending on the cbs schedule of games and those are the best it's happening now it's happening live it's it's thinking on your feet it's reacting to moments uh that is a charge that is the best and i I had opportunity and i've had opportunity to do you know back it's been a few years now but um I worked for Masson doing Oriole sidelines pre and post game that that's dream stuff for me. I love that. You know, I, again, growing up watching baseball, Cardinal baseball, dreaming of, you know, you know, hearing Jack Buck's voice and just being drawn to that, that when I was doing, when, when I was a part of those Oriole broadcasts, I just felt like a kid again. And I, and I was doing it as a, you know, as a job, and that, but to your, to your question, it's, it's, it's not scripted. It's happening now. It's happening live. And there is a real charge that I continue to get from that, an adrenaline, an excitement that uh, that, that beats everything. There's no doubt.
0: You, you mentioned the Baltimore Ravens. And as I was doing my, my, my research, reading up about you, there's one thing that I had to ask about. Uh, this is going back to 95. This is going back to the breaking the story that the Cleveland Browns would be moving to Baltimore. Uh, you were obviously instrumental in that, in that news story back then. I, this is fascinating to me because I mean, there was so much pressure on you because the people in Cleveland, the mayor I ambushed you during an interview, so much pressure, uh, you know, on, on you during that time, I'm sure like, did, were you someone who enjoyed the thrill of the big one or how did you kind of handle the intense pressure with, with a news story as gigantic as that one?
1: Yeah, it, it was, uh, It was all of those things and more. Um, There were a lot of sleepless nights. There was a lot of apprehension because of the scope of the story. And it wasn't that I and we, because there were a number of us involved, weren't confident in it. It's just that if it broke down, if it, you know, if there was a change in the story that it wouldn't come to the fruition, we saw it going it would have been detrimental to, to us. I mean, when you, when you're at the lead of something that big, you better be right. And we were right, but again, it it doesn't happen till it happens and things can change. Right. So sleepless nights for sure. Pressure, no doubt. Uh, Hearing a lot of critics. um, There were a lot of people who doubted, my reporting, our reporting, both from Cleveland, both nationally, locally, like locally. They, they were just saying, What do you, you know, I was new to Baltimore. They're like, What do you know? What are you talking about? We've been jobbed before on this. You're getting, you're getting pulled. And, you know, uh, that's part of it, you know, that, that, uh, that was a, that was a thrill unlike any other um, to be at that press conference when Art Modell, and then then Governor Paris Glenn Danning made the official announcement to be there, having been on the lead reporting of that, it probably doesn't get better than that in terms of a scope of a story that you're on the leading edge of coming to fruition, having faced so many doubts and sleepless nights that there it was, here it is, you were right. Uh, That, uh, you know, it's been, it's been 25 years more <laughs> ago, and if I never get anything to that degree, I wouldn't expect to, but at least I can say I had, that, I had that experience, and it was wonderful.
0: Absolutely. How do you kind of view that story and everything that it meant to your career? I mean, is there such a thing as a story that journalists can like make a career on or enhance a career? It, it, would, that, would that story kind of classify as one of those?
1: I guess so. I think because I was new, I came to Baltimore in 94. And what you're talking about was 95. So I'd only been here about a year. And, you know, Baltimore, like a lot of other places, you got to you got to prove to the people that you know what you're talking about before they just embrace you. So that did raise, um, I guess, a level of credibility for me. And there are people to this day that remember me for that. So I guess that says something um, which is nice. And I've always, I'm, I'm just grateful for that. I don't brag about it. I'm just grateful for it. I mean, timing is what it is and it worked out. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I think we all, when we all get into the business, we do it because we love it. And when things like that happen that are kind of beyond anything you ever would have thought about, uh, you just consider yourself lucky. And, uh, and I do. And I'm very fortunate for that. And it, you know, is it defining? It probably was, but to be honest with you, this many years later, there are a lot of people that don't know, and I'm okay with that too. <laughs> that's fine, because I got to, you know what? Because you got to prove yourself every day in this business. And I'm not going to rest on something I did 25 years ago, because that, you know, that 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 that's not cutting it. So I got to keep producing. I got to keep. I got to keep uh, earning the trust of those who might turn to me for information or opinions or whatever it is because that job, you should never feel secure. Um, you should always be hungry. And that's, you know, as much as, as grateful as I am for that, it's done. It's done. <laughs>
0: Baltimore is such a unique sports town like as somebody who's came from the Midwest and was new to Baltimore and obviously you get inserted into a giant news story like that but like how long do you think it took for yourself to get a pulse of the sports fans and just the sports culture of the city of Baltimore
1: good question Um, I I can't put a number of years on that but it took a while it does I mean everywhere in the country is different Um, and you know maybe the You know, Baltimore is interesting. Baltimore is just interesting because we're on the East Coast, but even Baltimore has sort of a a little brother feel to it when it's compared to Washington, D.C. or Philadelphia, New York, Boston, whatever, but I like that about Baltimore. Baltimore is like, you know, hey, you may not think we're a big deal, but, you know, we're something. And I like that. I like the, there is an underdog sense to it. Um, you know, it is it has some insular qualities to it, but they're good people. Well, I mean, there's good people everywhere, Justin. Let's not kid ourselves here. Um, but whatever, you know, especially if you're working publicly in, in a public forum like the media, you just got to earn the trust. You just do. Um, and you better be good and you better be. You know, relatable. Um, you just got to earn it. You got to earn it every day, and that's that's how I look at it. Uh, I can't. You know, I've I've lived. You know, Baltimore is. I've lived now in Baltimore longer than I lived in St. Louis. So, I've met my wife here. I'm raising my kids here. So this is like home now, uh, and I love it. I really do. I'm very. Uh, I'm very happy to be here and grateful for the opportunity for sure.
0: Right. And going back to like what you said, there is a, a certain charm about Baltimore where it's just like the fans of the sports teams, they, they want honesty. They, they want, I mean, there's just like blue collar kind of hardworking background that everybody has and that everybody kind of expects out of the sports teams. But one thing I love is that debates that like, they don't really mean anything, but I mean, they still have them anyway. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know if this is still a thing anymore, but like the debate on whether Baltimore is a football or a baseball town because yeah. it was an Orioles town for so long. And then they obviously have been going through what they've been going through. And then the Ravens have been so great for so long. Like how would you kind of see the football versus base- baseball town dynamic in Baltimore?
1: It's so you're so right because that was brought up to me because when I moved here, the Ravens weren't here yet. There was a Canadian football league team, the Baltimore stallions who were still drawing 30,000 people to Memorial stadium. And they made it to the gray cup, which is the Canadian championship game. The only two years they played, then the Ravens came and the Ravens had become a phenomenon. The Orioles, interesting story. I'll share as a kind of a background to my answer to this question. As a kid growing up in the seventies, I would run home from school during in October, Because they used to play all the playoffs and World Series games in the afternoon. That's how old I am. I would run home from school, and my dad, who worked nights, would be up waiting for us to my brothers and I get home from school so we could watch playoff games. In the 70s, who was always in the playoffs? The Baltimore Orioles. I idolized those guys. Now, I was a Cardinal fan, yes, but the Cardinals in the 70s were not good. They were not a good baseball team. That was like one of their worst decades. So I grew up thinking Brooks Robinson, Jim Palmer, Boog Powell, were they were it. They were superstars to me. Fast forward to me working in Baltimore. I consider Jim Palmer a friend. I, Brooks Robinson, I know. Boog, I, you know, I could call him and talk to him. And I, I still have that kid quality about me going, wow, this is amazing. This is so cool. So when you ask the question, is Baltimore a baseball town or a football town? I would just say it is both. And that's not a cop-out because both the, the Orioles history and the, and the remaining passion for who the Orioles are is undeniable, even in tough times. And it's tough times now when you're rebuilding. The football aspect of it undeniable because you have to now include who the Colts were to generations prior, and who the Ravens have become for 26 years now. I'll say this is the difference. And sometimes we lose sight of this when we say, "Oh, it's baseball or it's football." My personal sensibilities are. Every day matters. You go to work every day, and that's baseball. Baseball is 162 games. You just got to grind it, wake up tomorrow, and do it again, and do it again, and do it again, and that's baseball. What's football? Football is a hair-on-fire, three-hour explosion once a week. It's fascinating. It's exhilarating. It can be frustrating. But it's very condensed. To me, it's the difference between like football, a football season. Every Sunday is like a party. Baseball season is just like going to work. So Baltimore, as you said, is a blue-collar town. Baltimoreans, I mean, Cal Ripken set the record for most consecutive days of showing up to work. (laughs) That's what he did. That's his record. It'll never be broken he showed up for work. So yeah, Baltimore has that to it. And when that, when that baseball team is playing every day and they're good, it's pretty incredible. But football is just a different animal. It's a different mentality. It's a different rhythm. It's a different feel. And you can have both because they're so different. And when the Orioles are on, and I'll go back to 2012 when Buck Showalter got them to the playoffs for the first time in 14 years while the Ravens were making a Super Bowl run. That's kind of the height of it right there. For me, in the times that I've been here, um, that shows you what it can be and how beautiful it is. And also makes you look at Boston and go, really? The Red Sox, the Patriots, the Celtics, the Bruins winning championships left and right. It's like, how spoiled can you be? but it doesn't have to be one or the other is my point. And there's plenty of both. And, you know, if, if fans want to pick one over the other, that's cool. But as somebody who covers it, I see both. And I think, you know, both football and baseball are significant in the landscape here.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point because the Ravens have become this like model of consistency where like you, you just expect them for the last decade plus to yeah. be in the playoffs or be in the playoff picture. Um, but with the Orioles going through a, a very drastic rebuild, it's almost like very similar to what's going on in Pittsburgh in terms of like baseball versus football, because I think for a while, Pittsburgh was a, I mean, you had the pirates were doing their thing in the seventies and, and everybody was a, all on the baseball bandwagon. And then now I don't think that the pirates fans don't really show up anymore to baseball games, kind of <laughs> like what we have here. Um, but you're somebody who obviously you've, you, you've covered the Orioles, you you're on social media. So you kind of see the the general gripes that in the ire that the, the fan base has like, do you see, like, some of these people that have checked out because of the Orioles being so bad? Do you see them coming back anytime soon? Um, sure. Maybe, yeah. I mean, how do you see yeah. them playing out?
1: They will. They will because the Orioles – listen, a lot of them checked out for the 14 years they were awful. You know, they, they were in the playoffs in 96 and 97, and they were awesome. That was, that was incredible. But then they just – they were nothing for 14 years. They didn't have a winning record for the following 14 years. And then in 2012, that stadium was packed when they were making a playoff run. And that was exciting. And that was meaningful. And that brought life to the city and to the organization, as it did in 2014 when they won the AL East. In 2016, when they made it as a wild card. So, yeah, people check out now that that's all been sold off, rebuilt, processes underway. But If it takes seed and it grows again, they'll be back. I mean, 100% guaranteed they'll be back. And I don't blame anybody for not wanting to stick it out through these 100 lost seasons. That's, That's your prerogative. That's cool. In fact, Mike Elias doesn't expect you to show up until they're good. That's why he's motivated to make them good. But he is dedicated to the process of what it takes. The pain that it takes for the game is is brutal. And you know what? There's no guarantee it's going to work because nobody's ever done this in the American League East. Nobody's ever done it in a vision where the Yankees and Red Sox are the king of spending, where the Toronto Blue Jays are clearly a franchise that is capable both financially and with know-how to be very much in the thick of it. And oh, by the way, the Tampa Bay Rays, the team that doesn't have any fans or any money, somehow makes it to the World Series. Like, how does that happen? Well, you're in that division. Go for it. It's hard. And that's the one thing I say. I appreciate what they're doing and how they're doing it, but there's no guarantee it works. There's just not. And it doesn't come with that. It doesn't come with a guarantee. You can say Houston did it and the Cubs did it, but they didn't do it in the American League East. We'll see. I, I wish them well. I hope it's for this city. I live here. I like baseball. I hope it works.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's to put it into that perspective is, is interesting, too, because I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about, like, you know, there is there is a little bit of skepticism in, in, with the Orioles rebuild because, you're know, like you said, it's never been done in the American League East. It's sure the Cubs can do it in the NL Central or the Astros can do it in the AL West, but – yeah, I mean, AL East. I mean, that's it's like there's some divisions that just mean more. And to be completely honest, I've just started to watch more Nationals games. Uh switch. Really? I'm sure sure yeah. I mean, I've grown up watching both of them. Um yeah. so I I think I've earned my stripes to be a dual fan, like a dual citizen here. You um, can hey.
1: Yeah, yeah. What you know, that's one thing I never question. I mean, if you like a team or you're drawn to a team or to a sport, what Who's going to question that I mean, if you're just genuine in, in your passion for something or drawn to something, it's like telling somebody, you know, you shouldn't like hot dogs. It's like but I do. It's like yeah. you like what you like, <laughs> whatever you're attracted to what you're attracted to. We have different tastes and people. I mean, it's all good. I'm cool with that. I think that's great.
0: Yeah, I, well, I'm glad we have that perspective. If you go on Twitter and you voice any kind of opinion yeah. that, hey, you know, Twitter is just, that's a whole different animal. We could we have a entire <laughs> podcast about that. Yeah. Um, but I did want to end with a couple quick, you know, fun, rapid fire questions. I've thoroughly oh enjoyed our conversation tonight. Um, so so you've been doing your job and you've been doing it at a high level for so long. Like what, it's, what still excites you when you come into work? What are some things that really get you excited when you show up every day?
1: Bottom line, I get to do what I do. I, I'm doing something that I dreamed as a 16, 17-year-old kid that I could do it someday. And every day I've had the opportunity to do it, I embrace it. And I drive into work every day, Justin. I'm not making this up. I'm not like, like some motivational speaker. I'm, yeah. I'm speaking from my heart. I am so glad to be doing what I do. That, that's the juice I need. And there's a responsibility that comes with having the opportunity. There are a lot of guys that wish they had my job. There are a lot of people capable of having my job. And I look forward to the day where I say, I've done this enough. I want someone else to do this because I've had such a great ride. I look forward to that because I want the door to open for more people to do it. You know, uh, But every day I, I'm excited and grateful. And that gratitude is what fuels me more than anything else.
0: Uh, so you are a, a ginormous, uh, running aficionado running enthusiast. I would say, I think you've done well over 20 marathons by now, right? 35, 35 marathons. Like what got you into that? I mean, that's, that's a very specific thing to get into.
1: It is it, my, my, the door to this, Justin was opened when I was working in Dayton, Ohio and I did a feature story on a guy. Who was 75 years old and preparing to run his 75th marathon and after interviewing his name is joe abbas after interviewing him i remember talking to the videographer who i was with i got in the in the tv van afterwards and i said i'm not waiting until i'm 75 to run my first and i had like done 5ks and stuff but meeting joe abbas is what made me say i gotta do this and it opened a door to my own soul that once i started doing it i was hooked and i just find running distance running just very i I, I see so many parallels with life itself and the grind and the work and the dedication and the sacrifice and the no excuses and the pain uh, but in the end, there's joy. There's joy at the end. You have to work toward the joy. You have to accept the pain to reach the joy. And there's going to be plenty of both in every step and every way that you go. So it was, it was meeting a guy that said, this is what I want to do.
0: For all that time pounding the pavement, like what do you keep in your headphones? Are you a music guy, a podcast, <laughs> audio book? Like, what do you have listening to when you're on these, when these long marathons?
1: believe it or not, true story, more times than not, Justin, the sound of my breath, the sound of the birds, the sound of anything, because I so much of my day is consumed with voices, consumed with stimulation, because it's part of what we do, that I look at running as it's off. Now, more times than not, that's the case. There are other times when, because of what I do, I, I will listen to 105.7 The Fan. <laughs> I'm running. Uh, and I will certainly listen to music. But more times than not, it is freeing to me. It is liberating to my soul that there's nothing going into my ears but the sound of my breath and the world around me. And that's, what I, that's, what I, that's when I know I'm enjoying a run because that's all I need.
0: I'll have to try that sometime. I was expecting you to say like, I don't know, some, some great like classic rock or something. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh,
1: and, and I'm not downplaying that because I yeah. do find like, if I'm training, if I'm training hard, I find music to be an, an asset. Like right. I would, I, I will find like if, uh like if I'm running and a Soundgarden song is on my iPod and, and I need it and it reaches down and, just pulls me like there are certain songs that bam i got it and i feel my body reacting to it i'm not downplaying that yeah because it's there but when it comes to just freedom uh detached from time training and duty and just running which is to me is that's why i run more than anything it's not i'm less of a racer now than i used to be i'm more of just a runner and that's why uh that's why nothing in my ears is even better.
0: I'm going to try that. I'll report it back. Uh, I want you to think back to, to all the athletes that you've covered over your 35 plus years in the industry. Is there a favorite or maybe a couple that kind of stand out above the rest?
1: You know, I have to go back to Joe Abbas. I have to go back to that 75-year-old guy who fought in World War II. He was a little man. He was a tiny little guy. And his story was that when he was he was overseas he was in italy and he was frightened he was scared and he used to run around the base where they stayed at night that's where he started running and again because his story opened up in me the thought and desire to run that's the most impactful guy i can say i've interviewed, really. uh, you know, I could go down the list of all the, you know, Hall of Famers and MVPs and superstars, but, you know, have they impacted me like that? No. I mean, they're great. And I, and I, and I, and I admire and appreciate them, but in terms of those who've impacted my life and they're, you know, I could go down a list of other people whose stories I've told, uh, who you've never heard of um, that, impacted me um those are the more meaningful ones to be honest with you more meaningful so um it's boring it's not cal ripkin who i like and consider him a friend uh, cal's awesome you know uh you know ray lewis is great dude you know uh i could go down the list of guys who i know and like and appreciate but it's somebody that nobody knows and that that i like that I like that that's the answer that I can give you. I feel grateful that that guy came into my life and changed a big part of my life because I'll kind of tie up that with this. It was through running that I met my wife. And I have a great, uh, I'm blessed to have Meg as my wife and we have two beautiful children. And that's what brought us together. So I, I go back and think about what was meant to be. Me meeting Joe, me running marathons and through that meeting my wife and now having my family that's nothing any athlete could have given me but that guy
0: Wow that that's incredible. Uh, a couple more for you so we, we talked all about the advice that you would give to someone but is there a piece of advice that someone's given to you that stands out?
1: Yeah uh, I was thinking about this the other day for reasons that I'm not even sure of but When I was in journalism school uh, and we worked at the studio, you know, we those of us in the journalism school at the University of Missouri, we worked at a at a university owned television station, which was an NBC affiliate KOMU. And the news director, I remember one day I used to think that when you were on television as a reporter. That. There was a certain box you had to be in. And there is, I mean, there are constraints and there are, there are, you know, tenants by which we work that are, that should be non-negotiable. But I always felt like you had to be this sort of, you had to fit in this box. And he said to me, no, you're, you're going to be good because it's you doing it. And it's going to be your twist on things. And it's going to be your perspective that you bring to what information you learn and impart. And that, that was freeing to me. That made me think, okay, you know, there's a responsibility that comes with that, but it's yours. And you better, you better do it right, but you can do it your way as long as it fits, you know, the standards of what we do. And that was, that was something that, that I still hang on to. You better do it right. You better take care of the who, what, when, where, and how. And eliminate as much, if not all bias, as you may have, but then present the information in a style that is yours, because that's what makes you, you. And in the end, you're communicating with people, and people connect with people. And if if you can do it your way well, that's the best way. And that's, that's advice that I receive that I hang on to, for
0: sure. I really like that. Uh, this has been fantastic. The last question I have for you is, uh, do you have any questions for me? Uh, I've done a lot of talking. Do you have any questions for me?
1: Where are you going? What, what, what is your path? What do you want to happen? And are you dedicated to one particular goal or are you open to many possibilities?
0: I, I think open to many possibilities, but the thing that I always try to keep into myself and, and I always hold on to this is that like, I'm going to do things my way. Like my way might not be the traditional path. My way might not be a linear path. It might veer off at times. And uh, I might not even know where I'm going half the time, but I, I like the idea of doing things on my own terms. Um, and, and, you know, eventually when I get to the goal, when I get to the mountaintop, I, I think that my zigzagging weird sometimes could be lengthy path. I think that's gonna be more fulfilling uh, than, than somebody who, who did it, the, the let's do X, Y, and Z, the, the linear path. Uh, I, I hope it's somewhere in sports. I, I've obviously put a lot of time and effort into doing something in sports. Um, but like I said, when it all comes down to it, I just hope I can look back at the end of the day and said that I did it my way. I, I feel like that's a, who, 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 what is that a song by? Is that a, Sinatra?
1: That's a Sinatra. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm
0: going to yeah. go out like Sinatra. I'm just going to do things <laughs> my way. That's, that's how I hope I can achieve my goals, but yeah, hopefully uh, something in sports.
1: Well, I, I, I'd say that's a, that's a good way to go about it. Keep your mind and your heart open and you'll never know where it's going to lead you, but do it your way. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Justin, I, you'll, you'll get there.
0: I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, like this has been enlightening and it's one of my favorite conversations I think I've ever had on this podcast. So I can't thank you enough for your time and all the, the kind words and, and all the support you've given me over uh, the last, I think it's almost been, yeah, we're six months to a year now. So uh, I, I always appreciate it. I appreciate your time and I appreciate our friendship. So thank you, sir.
1: I appreciate what you do, how you do it. The energy and the excitement that you bring to what you do is genuine. And that's going to be your greatest asset.
0: Oh, wow. I, I'm going to, I'm going to clip that. I'm going to, that's, that's going to, that's going to go on a resume for sure. I, I love that. Um, well, check him out on WJZ. I don't think I need to give you any, uh, you know, pub or a press because like, I feel like everybody already knows who you are. So obviously check him out. Uh, Sports director at WJZ, Mark Viviano. Uh, This has been fantastic. Like like I said, this is, uh, you know, I've always looked up to you in this regard. So thank you, sir.